Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to have on a friend and mentor and someone that is all around fantastic. His name is Drew Goodmanson. He is a lifetime entrepreneur who helps companies grow, scale, build culture, etc. And uh, we go through his entrepreneurial journey, some of the lessons learned in his many years in business, and specifically how business owners can scale up, identify the important components of what they have to offer, and in general, build companies that reflect their true dreams and ideals and why they got into business in the first place. So there's a ton of very practical uh, and important pieces of advice in here. With no further ado, Drew Goodmanson. And one of the things that I'm hoping you will see at this point is that we are extremely focused on living a better life. And one of the most important components of that is getting the direction and the one-on-one work that you need in order to live better. So I am a strong proponent of coaching. I do a lot of coaching myself, and I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, to please do what many other people have done. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. There's no obligation to you whatsoever uh, to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And if that might not be the case, I would be thrilled to introduce you to any of the multitude of options and networks and people that I know who could provide that help. So again, please reach out via social channels, whatever it might be. I don't think I'm too hard to find. Certainly not, I hope. And, uh, and, and let me know how I could be of benefit to you. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to have on Drew. Thank you so much for joining me. Drew Goodmanson is a growth expert, a uh, lifelong entrepreneur, someone who I look up to uh, very highly. I, uh, I'm honored to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, Drew, tell us a little bit about how you got started. Get us through your 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 journey, sort of to where you are today, and maybe you know, sprinkle in a couple nuggets of what you feel like really helped you become successful and share that with others. Yeah, I mean, you know, lifelong entrepreneur. I mean, really, for me, six months out of college, I was working at a publicly traded company, and I you know, had gone to you know school and, and studied business. And I remember looking in the mirror and just going like, oh my gosh, I thought getting into business was going to make all my dreams come true. And, and I was going to be super happy. And I was so depressed. I was like, this is horrible. And uh, kind of that began a journey where I realized I'm an entrepreneur and, uh, and, I, and I, I just didn't want to work for anyone else at that point. Um, so uh, six months out of college, I started my first company and just jumped, jumped right into it. So, uh, you know, landed Amazon.com back, this is like 1996, uh, uh, landed them as a client and, uh, you know, built a slow, slow staffing down, company. Slow down, slow down one second. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you starting your first company to landing Amazon. Um, what, what was that like as you started that process? Like, was there, obviously, you know, you, you were sort of along the college track working in a big company. Yep. When you made that shift, um, what were some of the things you were thinking about or what was the, uh, what was kind of the big end goal for you? Um, I think the, 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 the end goal was being in alignment 
and really knowing who I was, you know, at that level. I mean, how, how much do you know, you know, of who you are six months out of college? But I think I had kind of an existential crisis moment where I'm like, okay, I, I thought going into business was going to satisfy a lot of things. And there were elements that I loved, but I just realized this isn't who I am. And so how, how can I really, you know, looking at my past, looking at the successes that I had had, you know, how, how can I do that going forward, you know, and, and make a, a living? And it was, uh, you know, at that point, I just said, you know, I'm, I'm young, you know, my overhead is I, I can sleep on couches if I have to, I mean, whatever. Um, and really, I had had no model of an entrepreneur before. My, my dad, you know, he went to uh, Wharton and got his MBA and was just a very smart guy, worked at, you know, AT&T, Pac Bell. So I, I just had no one around me who was an entrepreneur. So I didn't even kind of have that in my frame of thinking. But it, this was a moment where I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to jump into absolutely uncharted territory because I, I can't not. It's just who I am at the core. What, what, I, what I love about that is it sounds like one of the things I hear you often say is, you know, are you having fun? And yeah. I feel like that, that in the course of people starting business, that's usually not the question that they're asking. But it's fascinating for me that, again, maybe being in alignment with who you are is sort of an easier way to say that. But having fun and trying to find that level of, I guess, inner resonance is something that you feel is crucial in, in terms of the entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, I mean, I think things that I use today that I, I didn't have the sophistication to kind of think through then, you know, as I'm saying, hey, you know, what am I passionate about? You know, what are the things that I'm really good at through experience and talent and um, just kind of training? And then, you know, how am I going to add value in the world? And so I picked, um, you know, and started a company that, that I said, okay, I'm going to go give this a go and, and it fits some of those things. Um, and so, you know, went, went and, and jumped right in with two feet. So then, okay, so tell us, tell us about what happened with that company and, and what, what uh, some highlights, I guess, from there to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, highlights were, you know, I did a couple things right. One was I became very, very narrowly focused on a niche. And it was uh, focused on call centers, staffing, and then recruiting. And so um, because I had worked at a, a catalog company that was transitioning to e-commerce and they had a ton of call center people, inbound, outbound, account managers, technical support, customer service, you know, all these different roles. I just said, I'm going to focus just on that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of companies out there, but I'm going to be the world's best. And so I could go into a director of call center, uh, you know, or a director of call centers and just talk to them about like call times and personalities and, you know, all the different dynamics around that. And so it's like, look, at I'm not going to win 90% of their business, but I just needed to win the business that I could. And, and that's, uh, that's what I was able to do. So that, that was, I think, one of the things that I did well was just become very, very niche, laser focused on a small area where I could win. So maybe speak a little bit about that, because I think that that's something that, well, maybe in the work that you do now, you know, is that in, in working with other companies, how crucial is it to have that kind of laser focus on your ideal client? Yeah, you know, I, I look at it like this. Um, the smaller you are, the more focused you need to be. The bigger you are and the more resources you have and the more capacity to kind of take more on, you can expand. But particularly smaller companies, I, I, you know, I think the, you, know, you, you really need to understand who 
you can win with and why and and go all in to make sure that that happens or else it just the world has become too flat too competitive you know there, there's just no way you can compete against tons of different companies you know you, you really need to kind of carve out your your piece great so so getting clear on who you were serving was was piece number one what else popped yep. up for you in the in your uh, in your journey well, I think why I had a competitive advantage and, and understanding the buyer, understanding the pain around kind of what outcomes they needed and, and how kind of reverse engineering, like what outcomes they wanted to achieve in their call center in terms of how they were measured for success around call time and, and success around sales and measurements and metrics, and then reverse engineering into the, you know, how we were going to help them achieve those goals. Again, it was, I just intuitively mapped some of those things out and we're having those conversations. So I, I, you know, if I got in front of people, I had a high close rate, if you will, because of that. What was, what was the exit like for you in terms of that process of building? I mean, again, because that's something that's so interesting is that so many people will start a company, but then kind of tie their identity to the company. So the idea of an exit, even while there might be, you know, tremendous financial upside, you know, like ripping away their identity and sort of losing myself. So what was yeah. that, so to speak, to, to have something that you built, but then be able to pass that on and, and ultimately to, to exit? Yes. Um, so I think that in order to exit, you need to be pulled by a vision, not pushed by pain. If you're going to sell and exit because of pain or whatever, and you don't have a brighter future kind of after you do that, you're in trouble because you're going to freak out. You know, you're, you're, you're really, like you said, it's an existential crisis. You're not going to uh, resolve why you're selling because you don't understand what's the brighter future. Um, when I, so I, I did this for a couple of years and I built this to two offices and had a team of people, you know, I got offers from publicly traded companies and a couple of organizations to buy. And, and then I, I kind of, I exited because I knew exactly what I wanted to do which is uh, we were in the dot-com uh, boom. And so I started a, a dot-com. I started, you know, just, you know, I knew that, uh, I mean, back then people were using a sock puppet and they were raising tens of millions of dollars. So I'm like, man, what the heck? So uh, although I loved the, the scalability of what I was doing and that I could place teams of people that were, you know, I would go out and play tennis with a buddy of mine who works East Coast hours and I could, you know, we would, I'd just be thinking, man, I'm making this many, dollars per hour I'm not even have to work because they're all a place you know e-commerce was this dream of like 24 hours a day you know I'm going to make money you know whether you know all day long I'm going to wake up um, and so uh, uh, with another gentleman and I we we basically you know I took the, some of the proceeds and funded some of the the this dot-com and we went and raised venture capital in 1998 went down to Silicon Valley I met with uh, you know the, the Travelocities and Battery Ventures and you know, tons of, you know, venture capital firms. We raised uh, money. We had prior raised uh, some seed round from Nordstrom executives. And, uh, you know, I went into uh, the dot-com world with a thing called Pangeo, which is looking at how to integrate kind of e-commerce down to the local shopping centers. A little too early uh, ahead of our time. And, and, you know, great experience in that we got money. We scaled up to about 20 people, you know, was, was going to town, landed some deals. But uh, the dot-com crash happened. And, uh, and really, you know, everything got wiped out. Uh, so that, that was also a, like, you know, a, an incredible learning experience to have, you know, a failure, if you will, and that we had to shut the doors and, and turn the lights off. 
what what was that like? Maybe if you could walk through it again, you know, ho- you know, hope hopefully this will be over soon. But there's a, a lot of pain going on in the world now. You know, I think yeah. on a scale wise, it makes the dot com uh, uh, bust sort of like uh, very very minuscule. Uh, w- yeah. What what was some of those like those days and that experience of going through that and then kind of getting back up and figuring out your next step? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, depressing to go into your office and have to lay off people, you know, one at a time. And so you've laid off 20 people over a period of time and to kind of see your vision die, um, you know, and I think the other challenge was, you know, we had identified a plan to kind of keep the company alive, but because we had kind of raised venture capital, you know, they would rather you fail than, you know, kind of be the walking dead where, you know, maybe you're making five or 10 million a year, but, you know, they need you to be a hundred million plus or else it's just not even worth their time. And so it was interesting to kind of pick a plan of like, hey, here's how we can keep the business going. But they're like, no. And so, you know, you're just like, okay, these are super smart people. So I'm just going to go along with this. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, you, you know, we're going to swing for the fences and either strike out or hit home run. And of course, you know, we strike out with a dot com crash. So that I think it also caused me to really kind of look inside and go, okay, you know, what, you know, why did this happen? And, you know, what, you know, all my gut was saying this, but I went along with them. And yet they were wrong. I guess, it, you know, it was a very, you know, a lot of reflection, self reflection for me. And I think that that's also a fascinating concept, the idea that the people who, and, we, and we're seeing that a lot, I mean, in terms of the, the people that, that I work with, and I'm sure you're working with, you know, that um, the big institutions, oftentimes their intuition is not necessarily what makes the most business sense, but just might be the fastest resolution of some kind of a financial situation. What was that like for you in terms of how much it gave you kind of faith in yourself and your own vision, again, as a smaller operator amongst you know these very large institutions yeah i think um a couple things happened one is i think um in the future i was unwilling to like give up control and this illusion of control because of that so i think there was an overreaction you know because of some of the fear around like okay we are you know uh, like you know if you bring money in or you give up control of your company you're going to lose control and so and you know not trusting that there's alignment so, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I experienced some of that where it's like, okay, I'm just going to do everything myself. I'm going to need to own everything and kind of went all in. Um, and I think I made a lot of kind of vows and protective strategies in that sense that now I look back and go, man, th- those weren't good either. You know, I went from one to the other. Um, and so, you know, that, that was an interesting journey because then I went on and started, you know, uh, two other companies after that, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, I think it, those were limited a little bit because of my desire to maintain control and not um, take those kind of like risks, so to speak, by bringing in outside money. Tell me about development of culture, because, you know, uh, one of the things that I know about you is that you've been really gifted at going into companies and building a place that people want to work. Yeah. How did you get interested in that? And what are some strategies that you deploy when you go into a company and want to create something outstanding? Yeah, so um, I hit an inflection point personally when I, you know, when a company was getting bigger than me and I was trying to think through, I had all of these 
kind of intuitive things and, and, and ways that I did things that had kind of gotten us to a certain point. And I hit this inflection point. I call it the entrepreneur inflection point where it's interesting. Everything that made you successful to that point actually becomes the very things that prevents you from becoming successful to the next level. And so um, I became this lid where, you know, my leadership, you know, it, it had to be done. Like I, I knew the way I wanted to do things and people had to perceive it or they had to uh, just be around and kind of just through conversations eventually kind of catch. But I didn't, I didn't have any way to kind of like say, this is how I want things done. And so culture, you know, I approached it at first for a couple of pragmatic reasons. One is, you know, of course I want a great place to work. I care about people. You know, I had, uh, um, you know, been a pastor and kind of, you know, wanted to see people develop and grow. And so, you know, that was a big part of it. But I was also saying, how, you know, how can I, you know, I'm seeing decisions people are making and I'm like, why are they making those decisions? And so that, you know, working with someone, you know, really started to build out a list of values or, or priorities or ways that we were going to make decisions. And I wanted to create tools to say, okay, if you're, if you're creating marketing collateral, if you, or if you're on a customer call and doing customer service, how can all of these people in a decentralized fashion make the same types of decisions that I, you know, that I would want to have them make? And so for me, values became the core of that, where I really see values builds your culture and then your culture becomes your brand as, as the language and experience with, your, with the customers comes through. And so most people think of values and they've got like, you know, an eagle in the background on a wall with a picture and a word. And, you know, it's this meaningless stuff. But I, I really was like, you know, how do we create values where we actually can measure this, where we can monitor it, where we can train that, where we can interview people? You know, am I willing to hire, fire, lose money? I mean, we fired a client that was one of our biggest clients because we didn't have value alignment with them. And really, our team started to see these kind of decisions. And we gave them exactly how these values, like what this, these meant. And, and it was, you know, for me, it just changed everything. And so I think it was from that point of implementing values and wanting to scale and go beyond just myself that, um, you know, we started taking off and became one of the fastest growing companies in the country, you know, Inc. 500, 5,000 kind of list and all that. Um, you know, and so it was incredible to see how uh, powerful those values create as a culture and really, you know, the type of productivity, engagement, passion, you know, that people had because of that. So, so I just want you to kind of reverse, reverse that funnel, if you could. So, whereas, you know, let's say you're working in a company that's been around like 20 years and, you know, they're, yeah. they're doing okay and they're profitable, but, you know, not really where, they, you know, they're, they're, they're at any places where they want to be. And, you know, the value has been kind of the eagle on the wall with the word. When yeah. you go in and start working in those, like looking in those companies and asking the questions of the executive team, what kind of questions are you asking? How does a person either create the values before the company or if the company is already kind of mid-stride and, and kind of slugging through the mud, how do they create values? Yeah, so what I usually do is go in and I facilitate with a group of people from the company, whether it's, you know, the, the leadership team or, or people who, um, you know, the, 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 maybe the business owner is saying, hey, these are people that really embody what we're all about. And it's amazing to me. I mean, I've done, you know, dozens and dozens of these, you know, maybe 40, 50, 60 different times where I'll go in and, and facilitate this process. And, and you know, I, I think 
almost without an uh, exception, people come up and they know the values, they, even if they're unspoken, even if they have zero to begin with, they still are there. And it's incredible to see, you know, when you go through that process, people identify like, this is really what we're all about. And so, you know, I usually start with that process of, of trying to identify and put words and language to what those values are that are unspoken. Um, or, in, you know, again, you have to, it's intuitive and you kind of have to perceive them and we make them very explicit. Because what I'm trying to do is take out of the brain of the entrepreneur at this, you know, often at this inflection point of saying, how can we make this scalable beyond yourself? We need to take everything that's in your head and heart around why you're doing what you're doing and what you're all about and, and get this in so that anybody can see it and know exactly what they're, you know, what they're looking to, what, what you're expecting of them. And so that's the first step. And then it's just unpacking those down to decision-making in terms of like, if this value is true, you know, like for example, on our customer service department, they could give, you know, up to a certain dollar amount back to any customer, as long as they can defend them with the values that we had in the company that, that I had started. And, you know, one of the values is results oriented and results oriented both means it results for the client. It also means results for us. And so you kind of, they needed to understand like, is this, you know, is, is this value about putting people first or results oriented or, you know, thought leadership? Like how, how is this decision like defendant? And as long as they could, I was more concerned with their thinking of how than, than what their decision was. And so as a leader, I really want to spend more time on the why, you know, like our mission, our purpose, the what, meaning like, what does this need to look like down in the road from a vision perspective, and then give them the tools on how, but let them come back uh, in terms of uh, the tools would just be the values. But the explicit things of like what exactly people are doing, I want to give them those tools to come back and tell me how. And that, again, those are the things that have kind of unlocked the potential and the scalability and transition a company from just being entrepreneur led to its own culture, its own you know, a life that's beyond the entrepreneur. So now let's say a person is at a point where they are either starting a new product line or, or starting a new business. When does that conversation happen? Is it, it's, it sounds to me like it's never like too late to build out values into your company yeah. and take it off. Yeah, it's never too late or too early. I think, you know, to me, it's, uh, again, I think you still have them, even if you didn't take the time to, to sit down. I think you're, again, intuitive. Um, you can't not, I mean, obviously you make decisions, one decision over another. So when you start to see those patterns, you understand the, the values. Um, so they're there, you know, uh, uh, so there, there's, you know, if you do not have those identified, to me, that is mission critical. You need to, or else it's very hard to manage people and people are just going to frustrate you. You're going to hire the wrong people. You're going to have turnover. I mean, just all sorts of miserable things happen until you nail this stuff. When, when a person thinks to themselves, so again, just maybe if you could walk, walk us through a little bit, you know, yeah. I have a, a widget that I, that I'm selling, you know, and, and yeah. I just, I like, you know, I have these things and I, want to sell them yeah you're coming in and saying okay so when you're talking about values like integrity or whatever it might be i might just be thinking i sell stuff so you're saying though it's very important to kind of get into the mind of the entrepreneur what made you want to make this kind of thing so okay two things one uh and this is you know integrity is a table stakes value i mean i don't think anyone would hire anyone who lies so right. i don't i don't think that's a real value i think the value has to be something that is unique. And I usually like to find about five that creates a DNA. 
and it can't be things like integrity. Uh, you know, my, you know, I, you know, it just again, I don't know anyone that will hire that someone who lie. And it can't be customer service because you know, if you don't serve your customers, like how are you in business? But I think those values. So if you think about the widget, I think the very the idea of this widget being created. It was driven by certain values that were important. And I think those values often are the competitive advantage of how you created that product, that if you don't understand those values and you don't understand why the widget has a competitive advantage and you know, you're, you're not communicating and marketing that right, your sales are gonna be very opportunistic and hopeful and I don't know where these deals are coming from. You don't know how to go after the right customer with the right message with that right product in the right way. And so to me, those values translate into that again that brand because your 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 messaging your competitive advantage like all of these things are connected to understanding kind of how you're making decisions whether it's marketing or product development or you know you know investment and financial things. Fascinating. So that that's how it closes the gap between these ideals and then how it actually impacts your bottom line. And if it's done right why why your company will take off is because then you actually are able to capitalize on what makes you unique and know how to package that and therefore be able to grow accordingly yeah and 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 the research shows people who understand their values um outperform those who don't people who understand their competitive advantage outperform those who don't the highest growth companies from i mean i've, I've done research of hundreds of, of, of companies if people have an, an identified uh, competitive advantage, like those companies, I think like 70% of them are high growth, growing over 20% year over year because they, they know. And, and it's not just uh, like I hope and I wish upon a star, you know, they actually can become much more laser focused and go, this is how we're going to win and why, and we're going to go all in on that. So those are crazy numbers. So, so you're, what, you're, what you're also implying is that of all of the companies that are not doing like that, that could be a major reason why they aren't where they should be. Yeah, so companies that don't have that identified typically can't scale beyond a person, like, like maybe the, the founder who's doing sales, and that person is embodying those values, but they can't train anyone else, and so it really can only get to so big, um, and, and then at that point, it, it, they're gonna plateau. They're, they're not gonna be able to go to the next level. So a lot of times I'm helping companies that, you know, maybe they're, you know, under $10 million of revenue. And it's like, okay, how are you going to get from five or 10 million to 20 to 50 to a hundred million dollars of revenue? These are some of the things, the hurdles you have to get over and get really clear on or else you just can't do it. You, you know, at that point, more revenue is a stressful thing because you don't have the system process and clarity on how to do it. Outstanding. Okay, I, I have a, I have two I have two questions. Um, All right. I, I, I hesitate because I think both of them could be could be deeply. Uh, well, let, let's see what happens. The first question would be: You mentioned that you're a pastor, and I know that you've yeah. done a lot. You've started, I think, five churches. Is that accurate? I, I started a church and then helped plant uh, that we helped start uh, other churches from that. Yeah. So, so I, I'm curious the the role between. A, a, an entrepreneur and a pastor in terms of like, how has that affected your values and how have you utilized your insights as an entrepreneur to start the institutions of, of worship? Yes. So one, um, to me, you know, the, the first question is how does my pastor, it's, it's more like 
how does your worldview affect how you approach people? If I think I'm here on a purpose and I'm here to make a world, the world a better place and to fully lean into, you know, a God or a higher power that created me and I want to use all the gifts that he's given me to make this world a better place and invest in others, you know, that's going to change the way that I approach people versus like, look at we, you know, there was a, you know, we're here by chance you know, it was total, you know, all of these different things happened, but there's no meaning and no purpose. You know, that is insane. I mean, for me, like I can't operate in a world where it's like, man, this, this has no real meaning. Like, are you telling me, you know, if I love my kids or I love my wife, that it's just a chemical reaction to perpetuate the species for evolutionary purposes. And it actually has no deeper meaning than just a, it's a trick, you know, it's, it's insane to me. And so, um, those are things where I think understanding my worldview shapes how I'm going to approach people in the world that I, that I live in. So I think, you know, whether you're a pastor or, you know, a rabbi, you know, and, 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 I'm, and I'm deeply fascinated by these things. I used to write a column for the San Diego Reader where I would go and visit different spiritual places from Christian science to Baha'i to, you know, I've gone to mosques and, you know, to uh, synagogues and I've done it all. And, and I really love kind of thinking through like why we are and why we think the way we do and how that shapes, you know, the way we approach the world. So, so that's, I think, you know, how the, that, you know, those beliefs shaped how I approach people. Um, On the second, you know, just being, you know, entrepreneurial, um, you know, there's uh, a certain sense of just like, okay, I, I enjoy starting things and kind of, you know, you know, I see the opportunities and, and I, I just, that's the way that I work. And so, um, um, you know, that's what led me to go start a church because, yeah, certainly we could have joined another one, but I'm, um, I'm just deeply motivated by kind of going in and building things. And I love to build and kind of create, you know, it with others. And, and that's just who I am. And so, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways I could have done it, but the way I look at things is like, Hey, how can I start that? Beautiful. Okay. Uh, final, final reflection potentially would be now your new, you, your new project is that you yeah. are helping companies like build more revenue, get bigger, yeah. scale. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that work and yeah. some of the questions that people should be thinking about as a result of the work that you do. Yeah. And then I'll start with my own experience here as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I was building a great company. It was a SaaS product. Um, and we, uh, you know, again, we were one of the fastest growing companies. We had a, you know, award-winning culture, winning West, uh, best place to, to work awards, all that kind of stuff. And um, came to a decision to sell just through some different things. And, and that experience for me as an entrepreneur, I, I look back to it and go, man, I, I feel like I was a kid in a sandbox that uh you know and i was just playing with all my toys and i was happy and i'm like we this is awesome but when i sold um i feel like it was somebody lifted my head up and i'm like there's the beach is everywhere there's sand as far as i can see and i'm like why was i staying in this tiny little sandbox when there's so much more that i didn't even understand was there and so when i sold i joined a group that was doing a market consolidation and we bought over 40 companies and what a guy had started with like a $4 million revenue company. And within years, we sold it for over one and a half billion dollars. 
And it was like going in and doing M&A and looking at other companies and evaluating and kind of being on that side. I, I'm like, I have to figure this out because a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, were just doing things wrong. And so my passion, you know, uh, when we sold, I, I took about a year off and I said, you know, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And my passion is entrepreneurs. I love, I think entrepreneurs are the ones who have this vision and are creating change and making the world a better place. Most people spend most of their life at work. And so if we have better work environments, why wouldn't we want to have that? Like, like, let's invest in those people who are making the world a better place and making change. And so that was my passion. And then being an entrepreneur who has both started things, but then having worked in the private equity side and seen a you know, multi-billion dollar company and, and bought all these different companies with this group, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much that, that we can take that they are doing and actually help entrepreneurs do ahead of time. And so that's where in terms of like, man, like my call and, and passion right now is to take a lot of these best practices that entrepreneurs just don't know and don't understand and help entrepreneurs do these things ahead of time. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, like being Robin Hood or whatever, because the wealthiest people who make the most money are these private equity firms. How do we help the entrepreneurs capitalize and really capture the value of what they've created? And, and so there's a process that I do because, uh, you know, this is almost like a, my life work. It's a mission of me wanting to help entrepreneurs because I'm just committed to it. And I think they're the people that if I invest in them, you know, a lot of things are going to go right in the world. And, and maybe mention who you work with, how people would work with you, and yeah. the right person to potentially have you look at their business. Yeah, I mean, typically we're working with people who are beyond kind of figuring out the product market fit. So meaning like, you know, if you're a startup and you have no revenue, you just, you're, you're not in the same spot. as. So we're looking for people, you know, that are, if you're doing at least a million in revenue and growing, or you're bigger, and maybe you're, 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 if you're bigger, you might have some money in the bank, or you have at least the, the resources to make some investments and change, um, you know, and, and you've got customers and those kind of things. So those are the things that we're looking for, where we can come in and we, we kind of look at, uh, you know, there's five things that we kind of help them understand. One is, how do you grow? Uh, and, and the two things we look at is one is what is your competitive advantage and, and how are you capitalizing on that? And then how are you creating what I call demand control, meaning you consistently know how to go out and get demand, get business, get revenue. And so we do a lot of things to, you know, discovery calls with customers and in the market and market research and all of this kind of stuff. And we create a playbook that literally says, here's how you can grow. Then we look at scalability. How do you become, as you grow, are you going to become more profitable, more operationally efficient? Um, we look at like some valuation concepts around things that are counterintuitive that a lot of entrepreneurs don't know around multiples and what creates value and making sure you have the right economic engine because you could actually have a company that's doing less revenue, but it'd be worth 10 times more. And so there's some things that you need to think through there. Then we look at like leverageability and kind of looking at adjacencies to where you are in the market. Who, who are you worth more than you are to yourself? And then what is the outcome you're looking for? What is you know, you know, whether it's an investment thesis where you want to go and, and buy other companies and consolidate the market or grow, or whether you want to sell or whether you, you know, there's all these different things. Understanding what the outcome is and what the thesis is that will bring all those together to help support that. So that, that's what we've been doing for companies. And, and we've helped companies, you know, in under a year, you know, double the value by just doing things that are very intelligent 
and helping them build that story. Because a lot of times you're just so in your own forest, you know, and you're just seeing the trees that you, it's hard for you to understand the story and the narrative and the elements and the things that you're making decisions that are intuitive, you know, you having the actual data that goes, that's why we're making that decision. And you can kind of double down on it rather than kind of go, I think this is right. You, you know, and I'm, you can move from opinion to, to taking your gut, taking all these things, your intuition, and then supporting that and understanding how the data is going to help drive that. Amazing. Okay, Drew, how do people find you? Tell, tell, thank you so much. This is this was awesome. How, tell, please tell people how people can find you. And uh, yeah, I mean, if people wanted to, you know, hit me up personally, um, you know, Drew at Goodmanson.com, and it's just Good Man and Son, those three words.com. You know, on LinkedIn, that's where I'm at, Drew at Goodmanson. Drew Goodmanson. You know, there's, there, I don't know if there's anyone else with that name. It's a unique name, so it's pretty easy to find. Uh, you know, happy to answer any questions. I'm. You know, I give away a lot of resources. I've done a lot of, you know, hundreds of companies. I've done an exit uh, research project with hundreds of companies and investment bankers and private equity firms. I've done growth research with hundreds of companies. I just give that data away because, again, I just want entrepreneurs to know this stuff. And, and the more we give away and the better we can make entrepreneurs, uh, you know, the more I'm living out what I believe. Outstanding. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.